1: This is a CBC Podcast.
0: Hey, it's Tamara. This week, we're going to talk about a big idea, one that's been coming up a lot in the news since the start of the Ukraine war. And it may just be my algorithm, but it's also been all over my TikTok feed. The idea of a new world order. This stuff is crazy. So if you haven't seen on TikTok right now, this BRICS nation stuff is nuts. So to catch you up, the U.S. is like Regina George, and the plastics are like the G7 countries. These guys are the BRICS countries. That's Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, and they've had enough of the U.S. dominating the world. How
1: BRICS is a good thing. Kill the American dollar. We are tired of being bullied <laughs> and having our economies being reviewed as second-class economies. And you continue. Let's, Let's go. You see. come to me. You want to buy gold, and then you give me papers. Papers in exchange for gold. And then you call that business.
0: BRICS is an acronym for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. A coalition of emerging economies that's been around since 2006. It's mostly been about trade. But since the start of the Ukraine war, BRICS has really emerged as a counterweight to the West. Refusing to follow the lead of the U.S. and sanction Russia. Now, the alliance is also talking about creating a new common currency and challenging the dominance of the U.S. dollar. BRICS just held a big meeting last week. They're also going to have a summit in South Africa this coming August, and expansion is on the agenda. 19 countries have said they want to join, the majority of them from the global south. This is a really interesting moment for geopolitics. According to many experts, including my guest, a turning point towards a more multipolar world. Chido Chaseniere is back on the show. He's a postdoctoral research fellow at the Institute of Pan-African Thought and Conversation at the University of Johannesburg. I'm Tamara Kandacker, and this is Nothing is Foreign. Cheeto, hi. Welcome back to the show. It's really great to talk to you.
1: It's good to be here. Thank you so much for this opportunity.
0: To give people a bit of an intro, BRICS has been around since 2006. South Africa has been a member since 2010. And what has this alliance been about up until this point?
1: So BRICS really has to do with emerging economies. So if you look at Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, these are emerging economies. And we say emerging economies at the backdrop of the capitalist economy, which is dominated, of course, by the West, particularly by the United States of America. So BRICS is about that. Uh, supporting one another uh, intercontinental trade in order to advance these emerging economies as it were.
0: The foreign ministers of the BRICS group of nations have called for a rebalancing of the global order away from the West. They've pointed to sanctions against Russia for its invasion of Ukraine and the deepening antagonism between the US and China as factors behind their thinking. Host South Africa has called for more dialogue.
1: We believe the world needs to talk much more.
0: Saying economic as well as political adjustments are needed.
1: We're aware that developed countries have not met their commitments to the developing world and are trying consistently to shift responsibility to the global south. The other good thing that uh, this uh, consortium has done is also to unionise in trying to de dollarize In other words, they have tried to decouple themselves from the dominance of the American dollar by creating their own particular currency, particularly uh, as spearheaded by China, India and Russia. These three have already implemented this.
0: China had signed a 30-year gas deal with Russia. Shipments will reach 15 billion cubic meters by the end of this year. Until now, this trade was conducted in dollars. But not anymore. Gazprom will now receive payments in local currencies. 50% in yuan, 50% in rubles.
1: When they trade amongst themselves, it's way easier because they do not measure their currencies against uh, the US dollars, but they determine that according to the value of their uh, currency, which is undergated by gold.
0: Right. And and uh, there's been some efforts recently to take that even further, which which I think we're going to get into later. But the other thing I wanted to quickly mention is that in 2014, they created the New Development Bank as sort of an alternative to the World Bank and the IMF, right? Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yes, you're quite right. Um, so BRICS has created the, its own development bank, and it is here as well in South Africa. Uh, and it is operational. So the development bank, like you rightly said, it's almost modelled according to what the World Bank does. However, this is different in terms of how the World Bank operates. Western countries, when they want some loans, the flexibility of retaining the loans or repaying the loans is quite um, favourable what what uh, the IMF does and, and the World Bank does. When it comes to African countries particularly, and the global south generally, there are exorbitant interest rates that are charged at these countries. And of course, we know this is how the capitalist system uh, keeps on making interest and exploiting people. So the development bank comes in to say, let's put an end to that. Let's have uh, a financial system that works for us. So when it comes to the development bank, when a country takes a loan, it repays the loan uh, under very humane conditions.
0: BRICS has been around for a while as an economic alliance between these five countries. But this year, we've been hearing a lot more about it. Lots of headlines, explainers on TikTok. Why is there so much excitement around BRICS right now?
1: So the excitement around BRICS has to do with the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. So the Russian-Ukraine war uh, has caused havoc Um in in terms of not only in in Ukraine, but also uh, food distribution in the world. But here is the issue. Uh, When the war broke out in uh, Ukraine, it is the United States and its allies, Western allies, that imposed sanctions on Russia. When those sanctions were imposed by the U.S. on Russia, the idea was to cripple Russia economically. So... The idea was, let's impose these uh, financial and trade sanctions on Russia so that it is crippled, it cannot continue to survive, it cannot continue to fend for itself, and therefore it will uh, not continue to finance the war. However, that has not happened. And thanks to the BRICS consortium. So BRICS, uh, because they've de-dollarized, because they, they are moving away from engaging the U.S. dollar as the measurement uh, of, of trade, This has enabled them, through their own currency, to continue to trade, because the visa system was going to make it very difficult and nearly impossible for Russia to continue to trade. China's exports to Russia jumped nearly 20% in January and February, compared to the same period a year ago, a surge to a total worth $15 billion.
0: Russia remained India's single largest crude oil supplier for the ninth consecutive month. Russia's market share in India's import basket
1: increased from less than 1% before the Russia-Ukraine war in February 2022 to 42% last month. BRICS has taken the center stage because of their currency, because of de-dollarization, the Russian war uh, in terms of its aggression in Ukraine. It can sustain itself and therefore they they are trying to understand what is it that the world powers can do to try and curtail that because now it involves four other countries other than just russia so this is where the issue is this is where the interest is
0: So the other reason uh, BRICS has been in the news is because the world is really watching to see if South Africa is going to arrest Vladimir Putin at the BRICS summit, which is coming up in August. And it's happening in Johannesburg. So let's just quickly talk about what might happen there. So Putin has been invited, but the ICC has issued an arrest warrant for him for alleged war crimes in Ukraine. And this has put South Africa in a bit of a tricky situation because it's a member of the ICC and it's obligated to arrest him, but Russia is an ally. So how has this debate been playing out inside South Africa?
1: Now, in South Africa, the debate um, has always been what should happen uh, if uh, President Putin comes to South Africa. The government of South Africa is very clear. In fact, they've already uh, said that any head of state that will come for so that BRICS summit will have diplomatic immunity. So chances of the South African authorities arresting President Putin, the are none. I do not see that happening in South Africa. The government of South Africa is clear they've done it before. Um, and, and so maybe we may want to ask what has South Africa got to lose When it comes to to this, Uh, I don't think it will lose much, to be honest, except probably um, the respect of Western countries, particularly the United States and its allies. Other than that, uh, it's a foregone decision.
0: Yeah, so we actually talked about this the last time you were on the show. We talked about why certain countries in the global south, including South Africa and India, hadn't taken a side on the war in Ukraine and how in some parts of the world taking a stance against Russia didn't necessarily make sense strategically and it wasn't the default position. In South Africa's case, for example, there's a lot of history there and Maybe for people who don't know about that, refresh our memories a bit.
1: Russia is seen in a positive light, particularly from Africa, because Russia has never colonized any African state. So there is that history already. However, there's a particular history between the ANC government. So the the government of South Africa is led by the African National Congress. So the relations between Russia and the ANC, they, they go way back. So we can characterize, uh, particularly in the 1970s, at the height of of the apartheid struggle, or or rather the struggle uh, to end apartheid. The ANC was an underground movement. It was banned in South Africa. So they had to find alternative forms of existence and alternative forms to the resistance against apartheid. And Russia is one country that has stood with the ANC because they, they recognized the ANC as a de facto government. Of course, it didn't have a jurisdiction, but it was a de facto government of South Africa. In other words, Russia recognized the legitimacy of the struggle that the ANC was spearheading to bring down the apartheid regime in South Africa. So we cannot ignore those relations. This all started in museums and galleries. Now it's in classrooms, in country towns. This should not be
0: here. It's a human being in a box.
1: This is the stuff of empires. There is a great betrayal. We're not slaves, we're African. It's the stuff the British stole. I just don't believe that. It just does not stand up from ABC Australia and CBC Podcasts. Six brand new podcast episodes for free worldwide, available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: So just going back to what we were talking about earlier, one of the main things on the agenda for the summit is the potential new BRICS currency as an alternative to the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar is the standard currency for trade. The international financial system relies heavily on the dollar, which means countries just need a constant supply of dollars. And the idea behind this new currency is that if enough countries rally behind it, the U.S. wouldn't have as much power. My understanding is it's not clear what this might look like yet. So it could just be used for trade. It could replace all the national currencies. But explain why the idea of decreasing the influence of the U.S. dollar in particular is so appealing to BRICS countries and other countries that might be looking to join.
1: Unlike the American dollar, that is positioned in a place of privilege and therefore dominance, that every other currency has to be measured against it when it comes to trade. The BRICS currency will not adopt that particular uh, orientation. Uh, Recently, I attended a seminar uh, where China, um, Brazil, India, um, and South Africa were all speaking in unison to say, they will maintain their currencies. So South Africa will continue to use its rands and India continues to use its its rupees and China continues to use its yuan. What will be measured against this currency is how it's trading in terms of commodities and the, the common commodity that will be central to determining the value of a currency will be gold. And that on its own is attractive because All these currencies will not need to be converted first to the U.S. dollar to say how much is it going for the U.S. dollar. So the domination of the U.S. dollar will then dissipate. If the U.S. currency is curtailed, it will not be able to unilaterally impose sanctions on any country they, they so wish to, right? So the dominance and the control that the US has enjoyed for years at the beginning of the IMFs and, and the beginning of the World Bank, right? They've they've enjoyed unprecedented and also asymmetrical privilege. That has to end, that has to stop. So this is why the BRICS currency is attractive not only to BRICS countries, but to other countries as well. And I think it's high time um that we 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 really moved from a from a unipolar world into a multipolar world.
0: Yeah, and maybe let's just zoom in on that even a little bit more. The power of these institutions, the World Bank and the IMF, how has that impacted a country like South Africa? How has that been felt in South Africa?
1: If the U.S. wants to print out money and develop itself, they consult no one. They do so because they, they, they operate like the central bank as it were. If South Africa wants to uh, borrow money from the World Bank or from the IMF, there are certain conditions that are dictated by these lending powers, these global institutions. Supporters of the Economic Freedom Fighters Party rallied in Cape Town ...to denounce South Africa's borrowing from the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. Last July, South Africa's Treasury announced that it had secured $4.3 billion from the IMF. The party denounced the multinational lenders as economic terrorists. South Africa's economic recovery will be difficult. The finance minister of the continent's most industrialized economy warned on Wednesday during the budget speech. Well, we call them global institutions, but they are really Western institutions. They have global reach, yes, but the legitimacy is questioned because the the Brentwood Woods, this is how they were started. It was a conference of finance ministers, particularly from the U.S. and other European governments, right? So all the conference did was to, to institutionalize the power of the U.S., the decisions were made there, and they were applied globally through, of course, the United Nations. The platform is is not level; it's it's really asymmetrical. It it tends to favor uh, the capitalist system, which really is the U.S. system over other systems.
0: Since it was announced that BRICS is open to expanding last year, around 19 countries have said that they're interested or formally applied to join. How might expanding the alliance help BRICS achieve its goals of rebalancing the world order?
1: That's a very interesting question. And uh, I think here is the issue. If you look at the countries that have expressed interest to join BRICS, Uh, they are African countries. And already it tells you that um, African countries, they do not necessarily subscribe to capitalism. They have to use the capitalist system to survive, but it's not their choice. So it tells us of that. So let's look at Nigeria. And I pick out Nigeria here because Nigeria is the biggest economy in Africa. South Africa comes second to, to Nigeria. So it's geographically situated in the west of Africa. But that's a very good route, that one, uh, because it can link to the United States. It can link to to the United Kingdom. It can link to Australia. It can link to other parts of, of Africa. So it's strategically positioned. But not only that. The BRICS countries themselves, they want to trade with the entirety of Africa. So... If a country like Nigeria, which is a leading economy in South Africa, is to partner with these countries, of course, it tells our partners that Africa is ready to engage and Africa is at that level because it's a necessity.
0: Right. So we've outlined the case for expanding BRICS and how member countries have already gained from it. But I just want to spend some time talking about the skepticism and the criticism around it. A lot of analysts point to the fact that there are already internal tensions within BRICS uh, between India and China, for example. The Himalayan border between India and China is one of the world's hottest flashpoints. Last week's incident saw up to 400 People's Liberation Army soldiers clash with Indian troops in Arunachal, Pradesh. What kinds of challenges could those tensions pose when it comes to these countries aligning on their goals?
1: So they are partnering on the basis of decoupling from the dominance of the U.S. dollar. So let's not forget the basis of this relationship. It's a financial relationship. It's an economic relationship. So the idea is that there is this one dominant force, the US dollar, right? Let's deal with that because it is crippling all of us. There is a possibility that this partnership may take a different route. It may change in the future. Now, that does not discourage the development of BRICS at this moment because that argument, we can silence it by saying the United Nations state system is still trying to fine-tune and refine itself today. So it cannot be that a system that is a social construct will have no hiccups. These are humans gathering together to say, let's try this out. And the very fact that the BRICS uh, partnership has attracted these different global players on voluntary basis, I think it says a lot. It speaks to legitimacy. It speaks to a desire to be free from this colonial yoke, from this uh, overbearing and dominating US donor. This capitalist system and the capitalist system, um, we have to characterize it uh, properly and correctly. It is gendered, it favors patriarchy, it is racial, it favors the white race over all these other races. So all these intrinsic evils of capitalism, they are now making all these other countries and players and partnerships to say, we do not want to associate with this evil. We want to try out new things. So, of course, of course, there will be challenges. And and as you rightly said, there are already tensions, but those tensions can be ironed out. Those tensions can be negotiated.
0: But just to give people a bit more clarity on the challenges when it comes to decoupling from the U.S. dollar, I've seen some experts saying that it would be too difficult to execute because the dollar is so dominant and the political and economic systems of the member countries are so different. That's also the reason why. Some economists have dismissed the possibility of a Latin American currency, uh, the SOAR, which has been announced by Brazil and Argentina. They say that their economies are too different to be integrated in that way. And I wonder, how would you respond to that argument?
1: The dominance itself, it has not always been dominant. Um, This is a human creation that has undergone different phases uh, in terms of its development, it can be replicated. It can be done again. So I, I think that that's a very uh, weak argument that they want to bring. But here is the thing. Remember, they, they are afraid of losing control. So let's address that. Um, I, I speak of coloniality of the economy. So the control of the global economy. Colonialism may have ended, Uh, arguably it has ended, so there isn't really physical colonialism. But the template that colonialism created, this is what we want to call coloniality. So coloniality of the financial system is still intact. This is a clear sign that this alternative is a threat to that establishment. Only the West in this sense, the IMF, um, the World Trade Center, the the World Bank Group, all these Brenton Woods institutions, they stand to lose. And that's a scary thought. So I understand them when they are scared. What they are not telling us is that they are afraid of fair competition. They are afraid of fairness because when it comes to leveling the ground and if there's going to be fair trade, it means uh, people that are astute in terms of their economics will make a big kill. It will not be dependent on the domination of just the U.S. dollar, right? The U.S. dollar will have to compete uh, competitively and uh, objectively with other currencies. And unless we have that, this fair trade notion, then it's is just nonsense. So this is where the skepticism is coming from.
0: Chido, thank you so much.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Alright, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Our producer is Joyta Shangupta and our sound designer is Graham McDonald. Our senior producer is Elaine Chow. The executive producer of Nothing Is Foreign is Nick McKay Blocos. Nothing is Foreign is a co-production of CBC News and CBC Podcasts. Our theme music is by Joseph Shabison. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CBC Podcasts. I'm Tamara Kendacker. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week.